It's good to see you here. Um, I'm Ryan, and uh, my, my wife Kate and I, we co-pastor, co-lead this church together and with an incredible team, and um, we are, I didn't make that level enough, um, we are just stepping back in after a, uh, an extended absence, and if you want a little more details about how we're walking that out, how we're approaching that, um, you can listen to last week's podcast at the beginning um, and, uh, and what that looks like for us, but, but really today, I just want you guys to continue to hear this. We're so thankful to be able to be surrounded by this family and to be here, to be here, and um, so I want to see everybody and just say good morning and it's good to see your faces and your hearts, and we love you guys, and, and uh, we're thankful. Eh? Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, so um, let me see. Where do I want to go? We're, public worship is uh, it's a little bit uh, tricky these days. Uh, it's like shadow boxing with, uh, it, yeah, it could just leave me in a puddle, and then I wouldn't be able to come up here and do this, so I'm trying to recover here. Um, so that was su- such an important time. Um, we're in, let's just move on. How about that? We're in Acts 15, and uh, we've been doing a series called Communities of Transformation. What, is it, what does it look like for us to be a community of transformation? What does it look like for you to build communities of transformation around your life, in your schools, um, in your workplaces, in your home groups, in the, the different relationships you have? I believe that as followers of Jesus, that you are called to be founders of community everywhere that you go, that you would be planting community and leading community, and it would be Jesus-centered community, whether people realize it or not, that you are community builders, and that that is to be transformational to people that get to experience you and be around those community places. And so we've been, felt like the Lord led us into Acts to to ask this question. In Acts, we see the gospel of Jesus Christ being centralized and that people would preach Jesus and they would see miracles happen. They would see people come to know Jesus. They would see people get baptized and say yes to following Jesus. And then it would transform people and that that gospel would transform people, transform cities, transform churches and build, grow into churches. And so we wanted to look at that and say, what does it look like for us to be a community of transformation in 2021, 2022? What, is it, what does that really look like? And so um, we're gonna, we're gonna jump in to Acts 15, and if you want to read along with me, I'm going to skim through some of this, but I want you to really get the context of what's happening here in Acts 15, and so remembering Acts 14 we talked about, uh, Paul and Barnabas are are finishing up their missionary journey in Acts 14, they're coming back to Antioch, the church that sent them out, and they're coming back with this celebration heart, and that's what I was saying last week, how, how much I would love and do love it when we get to come back together and we are able to simply celebrate the things that God's doing in our lives, through our lives, in our workplaces, in our schools, um, all that stuff that we're celebrating that when we come together, we just go, oh, I, I want to worship, I want to worship, I want to I hang out with people to celebrate what God's doing, and so they came back together after a missionary journey and they were celebrating, and, uh, and so they had that to celebrate for about 10 seconds and then um and then some religious people dun, 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 showed up and that brings us to to acts 15 buzzkill right um so acts 15 oh i don't know ryan i've never been buzzed in my life <laughs> liars in fact wasn't it just the other night drew that um no i'm kidding i'm teasing come on everybody <laughs> Certain people, verse 1, certain people, they came down from Judea, Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers. So they're celebrating. God is doing all these things amongst the Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles being people who weren't raised in Judaism. They weren't following the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the temple, the law of sacrifices, all that different stuff. They weren't following that. They were outsiders to that. But the gospel through Paul was going out to the, Paul and Barnabas was going out to the Gentiles. So these people who didn't have that background, that traditional background, were coming to know Jesus. And so they're celebrating, but certain people came down and they said, uh, guess what, new believers, new followers of Jesus, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Good job, Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse three, the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told the Gentiles, um, 
They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. Verse four, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So really quick historical note here. The Pharisees were a sect of Judaism that were even more strict. They followed in righteousness. They tried to walk out in righteousness every bit of the law that had been handed down to them to, by Moses. And so they believed that by following this and living in righteousness that they would, they would bring the Messiah through us earlier. And so if we can live in total righteousness, the Messiah will appear. So apparently what had happened is that, that as Jesus had appeared, that some said that's not the Messiah, but some of the Pharisees said that is the Messiah and we will follow him. But they may have believed that it was in fact because of how well they followed all the rules that Jesus showed up because now they have transferred and they are following Jesus, but they are still of that Pharisaical mindset or that tradition. So they carried it into following Jesus and that was affecting them in how they were teaching others to follow Jesus. And they said, you have to be circumcised and you're required to keep the whole law of Moses. Why? Because they believed that to accept the Jewish Messiah, you had to become Jewish. The way that you became Jewish was to accept the religion of Moses, I mean, of the old covenant and to come under that. So the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. Verse seven, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them and said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe, Acts 10, Cornelius, the, the, the uh, sheep that came down with the animals in it. I believe that was Drew who taught on that, on that week. Um, if you want to go back and listen to Peter's testimony about how the Holy Spirit revealed to him that the message of, of Jesus was going out to the Gentiles. Verse 8 God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. I love this too, that this is an early marker of the church, that they would confirm things by the move of the Spirit and they could see it and witness it and watch it take place, not because people followed rules or dressed the right way or talked the right way. It was the move of the Spirit where they'd say that's confirmation is, the, is that the Spirit is falling and moving on people. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? We haven't been able to follow the law. Why are you asking other people to follow the law? Because we want them to feel as guilty as we do so that they'll call out to Jesus. Um, Verse 11, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Amen. That's the gospel. Verse 12, so the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And then James got up. Uh, Peter got up and shared, James shared, and then they continued to talk about it. And when Paul and Barnabas were able to say, this is the things that God has done, they agreed that they had seen this wrong or that those who had been teaching were teaching it incorrectly. And so they, they said, we're gonna write your, a, a letter to your church in Antioch and then you guys can carry that letter to the other churches that you planted on your missionary journey so that the Gentiles understand that we, if someone else comes to them and says, you gotta get circumcised, you have to follow the law, that they'll have heard this letter from us and they will be encouraged that they don't have to do that. And so they wrote this letter. And, uh, the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. I'm on verse 23 now. That was a little skip. Skippity skip. Verse 24. You're like, I don't see it there. Where is he? 24. Letter writing. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and they disturbed you troubling your minds by what they said, verse 25. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul, uh, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat and of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. 
It's a great letter. Oh, man. So this group went out, took this letter, went down to Antioch, began to encourage them. People read it, verse 31, they were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, they were moving in the prophetic, which means they were just speaking God's heart and truth over people and over the time. Uh, They said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. And after spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But then Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. And then verse 38, 36 through 40 talks about Paul and Barnabas. Paul comes to Barnabas and said, I would like to go and back through all of these churches that we, that we planted or helped start. Let's take this letter. Let's go and encourage them and check on them and see how they're doing. And Barnabas said, let's do that. We will take John Mark. And we remember from earlier, uh, and I believe that actually this was Drew's chapter also, where that John Mark had left Paul and Barnabas in the middle of their journey. And so when Barnabas said, let's take John Mark, Paul's like, no, let's not take him. Um, So they also had a sharp dispute. Um, But listen, the sharp dispute didn't mean that they didn't continue to move in the things that God was asking them to do. They just understood, you're going to go this way. So uh, Barnabas took John Mark, they went one direction, and Paul and Silas went a different direction to continue to encourage and plant and, and build up those who are coming to follow Jesus. And so that's the end of Acts 15. Amen? All right, have a great day. Um, I think the buffet lines are open. Um, oh man, there hasn't been a buffet open in town in years, has there? When's the last been like, it's like five years since JJ North's was open. Um, anyone? No? How far back did I just go? Come on, who knows JJ North's? Come on. Okay, good. All right. So, Acts 15 Communities of Transformation. So, you have Outsiders from Jerusalem who were coming, and they came on their own to lay this heavy burden on the Gentile believers, including the necessity to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. Um, Obviously, Paul hadn't made that a requirement as he preached the good news of Jesus. He hadn't made it a requirement that they would follow all of the law or be circumcised. And so this puts them in disagreement, and they decide that they're going to they're gonna do something about it. And I, and I love Paul's willingness to stand up for that. And then Uh, Verse 2 through 19, Paul and Barnabas go up there. They have this talk with all of the leaders who are saying, you guys are kind of, everybody's looking to you in Jerusalem because you were with Jesus and and you set this standard. And if you were going to come with prejudice and and, and separation and dividing people uh, because they didn't come out of your background, then it's going to really hinder the, the early church. And can't you see all the miracles that are happening and what the Holy Spirit is doing? Let's look to what the Spirit is doing, what the miracles that are happening, and let's not just look to our rules and, and regulations. And so they work through this sharp dispute. And, and I want you to see this is how, I think this isn't the message or even the topic of the message, but I love the example that Paul gives of sharp dispute saying, I will go to the person and we will go talk about this. We will go work this out. Even if there's a cost to it and we have to travel, we're going to make our way to that. Culture today is really teaching us some unhealthy ways of, of intercommunication and living together in society is that if we dis- disagree or if there's a dispute, I'm out. We're, we have a permission to just cut off and move, right? Unfriended, boom. How you like that? Um, and so we have this, instead of this tenacity for a relationship, if you care about a relationship and someone hurts you or offends you or says something that is different than what you believe or think, then it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be frustrated, but you can also partner and say, God, would you show me what it looks like to step in and to not just recoil from that and throw up my hands and say, well, I guess that's the end of that relationship. We've got to learn to be led and to step into relationship. And maybe, just maybe, there's some miraculous reconciliation that God wants to do in and through our lives that we are discounting because we can't see how it would happen in our own strength or wisdom. You're right. It may not happen in your own strength and wisdom, but when you show up as a conduit of heaven, Who knows what's going to take place, right? So we got to learn, as Paul did, to take that example of stepping in. The other thing that I love that Paul did, and I mentioned this as I was reading, is that he didn't didn't defend his position in the meeting. He didn't stand up there and go, let me share with you some doctrine, some polity. Got some good theology. Got some verses we can pull out that. Like, we know that Paul would do that. He would teach like that until people would fall out of windows and die. 
it happened. It, it happened. So, so he, would, he could do that, but in this meeting, he just said, I'm going to stand on the testimony of what the Spirit of the living God is doing all around the nations. And we're traveling from all these different cities to cities to city. We're, meet, we're, we're connecting with people from all over the place, and they're all seeing miracles, and the Spirit is being poured out upon them, and they're being baptized, and they're being made new in Jesus. They're becoming followers of Jesus. And so he stood on the testimony of what the Spirit of God was doing and didn't feel that need to defend himself or to argue himself into some kind of posture or place that God had already positioned him. So, which is another great thing for us to learn. A lot of us are arguing and fighting for places and acting as if they don't belong to us when God's already assigned us to them. We stand in them, but when we start fighting and scrapping, we get super insecure and then we start hurting people around us. It's like, God already put you there. You already have authority and favor. Just stand in it. Stand in it and be who God's called you to be in that place. So he, uh, moving on, verses 20 through 29, this is the, uh, they have this meeting and, uh, or then they write the letter and, uh, and they acknowledge that the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God has confirmed the gospel. The good news of Jesus has gone out and people have received it and there's been confirmation of that. And so they, they give them some, uh, some steps to follow. And I want you to see this is this was not something that they asked them to do to get in. They were already in because they believed and followed Jesus. So it wasn't this thing, you gotta do this to get in. Those first people who came to them said, you gotta do this to get in. But they decided, no, oh, they're already in. So now that you're in, there's community that's here. And here's something that you need to do to steward community. And so they said, don't eat meat, sacrifice to idols, don't drink blood, and don't, don't partake in sexual immorality. We'll talk a little bit more about that. It seems a little bit out of left field. Like, well, I mean, we didn't get to tell them that they, get to be, that they have to be circumcised and follow all of the law. So what should we tell them? Let's go with, um, I don't know, meat, sacrifice to idols, sexual immorality, and drinking blood. Okay, cool. Throw that in the letter. Sign it, farewell. Good, okay. So there's a reason why that these things were what they specifically called out. And it was truly about community. So listen, if you don't get this in Acts 15, you're gonna miss a lot of what God is, what, what is being said here and what's happening here. So those three things have to do with religious ritual. So for the Gentile culture, that would have been normal was to participate in ritual worship in temples or other places where they would gather where sexual immorality would take place as worship to idols and sacrificing animals, sacrificing meat, and then drinking blood would be a part of the whole ritual. And so you go, it seems a little bit random when you just read it. Why would they put those things there? Well, both of these groups, both of them, are being asked to step out of their religious ritualism into a new community of faith that is centered not around performance or things, but around Jesus. So the Pharisees, or those who were of that Pharisee camp, they had to step out of their saying, you gotta follow all of Moses' law and you gotta be circumcised. They're, they're having to step out of that. And then the, the Gentiles on this side are having to step out of what is familiar within their culture. This is how we worship our gods. This is what we do. And so it wouldn't be a big deal. Let's incorporate that into how we worship Jesus and what that looks like. And they're like, no, no, no. So for us to function as a new community, as one new humanity, as God said that he was creating between the, from the Jews and the Gentiles, it is them saying, this is about community. These rules that we are being given aren't about getting into God's grace. It's about actually walking and functioning in community where I can let go of things that would be offensive to them and I can let go of things that would be offensive to them and we're gonna step into a new community that's centered on Jesus and we're gonna see something beautiful growing out of it. So it was, it was important because if you draw that parallel that this is ritual, uh, religious ritualism, that both groups are being asked to lay down and it's creating this beautiful picture of community. Does that make sense? Okay, so, um, so as that took place, the new believers were spared from religion without being given license to do whatever they desired. Um, but of these... Sorry, both of these things, I believe religion and license exist within the church today and we have to be careful because as we function in community, we cannot let our pendulum swing from over-religiosity to say, oh, we want to do away with religion. It's the worst, right? Yeah, we're all like, yeah, religion's dumb. There's rules you have to follow and stuff and like, let's get our pendulum to swing to the other side. We can do whatever I, we want. Well, guess what? Either if a community exists around license where it's all, all Jesus and grace and we can do whatever we 
want, that's gonna be super unhealthy and dysfunctional for you to be a part of. If a, if a community exists around such a sin focus that it's death focus and it's all religion and rules and ritualism, there's no life there, that's gonna be death for you to be a part of as well. And so those things can exist within the church. They can even exist within a, a human and how we swing from one side to the other. And what this is, Acts 15 is calling us to is a central place where we can say it's not about license, it's not about religion, religiosity. It is about being a transformational community founded on Jesus, right? Right. So then we got verse 30 through 34. Representatives from the Jerusalem church come down to Antioch. They encourage them. Uh, and notice this. The difference of the, par- the parallel of the first group that came laid a heavy burden on them. This second group that came, it says they encouraged them and they felt that they were, that, uh, so they said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. That's the opposite of what those, that early group came to impose on them, those religious rules and the heavy burdens. When we get this right, everywhere we go, we get to be people who set people free and we leave a light burden behind us. When we come with heaviness and religiosity and performance, people are gonna feel weighed down by what we're imposing on them. But when we get a hold of the Spirit, we speak prophetically, as I said earlier, getting a hold of God's hearts and his words and speaking those truths over people today. It will encourage them and lift them up, not weigh them down. Verse 36 through 41. Then Paul and Silas uh, took Silas, who was one of the delegates from Jerusalem, and they went to carry this message and this letter and to encourage the believers um, where he and Barnabas had planted churches, and then Barnabas took John and Mark, John Mark to Cyprus. So what can we learn uh, from Acts 15 about being a community of transformation? And I, and I want to say this, if I, seem, if I seem a little bit fired up about this topic today, uh, this is my defense. I'm, watch, I'm listening to a podcast called uh, The Making of Mars Hill. Is anyone listening to this? Has anyone listened to this? Okay, so if you've listened to this, you may understand why I'm a little fired up about religion uh, and, and religiosity in the church. And if you want to listen to it, you can. It's pretty heavy. Um, but you'll, you'll understand when you hear it. If you listen to it, you'll go, oh, I know why Ryan was, um, was fired up by that podcast. Um, church leadership and church wounds are such a passion for Kate and I to see people set free from, from that stuff. And, um, and then to just hear stories of how people have been hurt. It, it breaks our hearts. And so this, is, this message today is, is definitely near and dear to, to who we are and what God has put us here to do. Um, but today I want to focus on this. Why religion and religiosity doesn't work within a community of transformation. Um, so let me define this word. Religion, to me, when it's used correctly in Christian religion, or, is beautiful. It, it, is about, it is about there being uh, meditating on the word of God. There, it is about prayer life. It's about my spiritual disciplines. It's about rhythms. It's about uh, seeing a way of righteousness and being in community and walking in it together. It's about gathering together and being together in, in our worship to God and singing. And, and all of those things come to mind when you say Christian religion. And I love that stuff. And that's not what I'm talking about today. When I talk about, well, when I blow bubbles on my notes, when I talk about, because I'm dehydrated, Let's try that again. When I talk about religion or religious or religiosity today, I mean it is that, that mindset that infiltrates our hearts where we become more concerned with appearance over substance. Um, it's, it's really where we carry that heavy burden of performing, uh, earning, trying to prove that we're forgiven, trying to prove that we're accepted, uh, that we, we operate in that place of... Um, always having to hit the mark. And what happens is that gets inside of us and then we start to put that out onto people around us. And so not only are we always going around feeling like we're performing and we're not measuring up, but we start acting towards people like they should be performing better and they're not measuring up as well. And so that's what I, that's what I mean when I say that religion. It's that, it's that appearance over substance kind of thing. And so when we add anything, performance, appearance, earning to the completed work of Jesus, we remove that, that reality of grace, that offensive nature of grace, of what Jesus Christ accomplished for you and for me, that we can't add anything to, we can't do anything to get it, we can't earn it, it is a free gift. And what I mean by that is this, if you watch Jesus, if you pay attention to Jesus when you're reading the Gospels, nothing offended Jesus more, nothing upset Jesus more is when, than when religious people would take what God wanted to give to his people for free 
and they would put entire systems around it so that it just, it would like pour in and it would eke out on the other side and somebody could come and be like, oh, may I please have a drop of God's presence or grace? And they'd go, well, yes, did you purchase, did you, did you not sin this week? Are you wearing the right clothes? Did you purchase the right sacrifice? Did you come at the right time? And if so, yes, you can come and we'll make the sacrifice for you and then we'll talk to God for you. And this person is left separated from what God really desired. And so the religious system that was built was Jesus was there to confront it and nothing, nothing, nothing bothered him more than when that was taking place. And really nothing bothered that religious system more than when Jesus took it and said, oh yeah, that thing that you're charging people for and that you're controlling people over, guess what? No more. I'm giving it out to them directly. He is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He is the mediator of our faith. He is stepping in and saying, it's me. I am God. And I am here. And I want relationship with you. And you don't have to go through all of that. But that system was has been making people perform and jump through hoops for generations and generations. And Jesus just took it and turned it on his head and said, no more of that. And so that's what I mean when I say that offensive nature of grace and forgiveness. That is the completed work of Jesus, and he wants to freely give it to us, that we would freely receive it, and then we would freely give it away to others. And so in Acts 15, as we talk about communities of transformation, and moving away from religiosity and moving away from performance and moving away from earning favor. Uh, there's, there's a reason why I'm wearing a hat this morning. And this may seem super silly, but the reality of what my life was and what I've come out of is that standing on a stage in a church wearing a hat and preaching God's word would have never been allowed when I was a kid going to church, let alone someone on the stage wearing leather pants. I don't know who I don't know who that was. <laughs> but the 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 um the truth is, is that you probably, if you've been around church, Christianity, any length of time, you probably have a lot of stories where people came to you and they seemed like they were super righteous and they had it together and they'd be like, you know, I just I know you're following Jesus, but I need you to not talk that way. I know you're following Jesus, but I need you to act this way. I know you're following Jesus, but I need you to give this much percentage of your income. I know that you're following Jesus, but I need you to show up more to these volunteer opportunities. I need you to do these things. And no, 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 it's all free. It's all grace. But we may be keeping track of how you're doing along the way. And like, no, you don't wear a hat. You don't say certain words. You don't talk that way. You don't look that way. And this is all, maybe in some degrees, it's well-meaning, but most of the time, it's an infection that we have that is being reflected of my disconnection with the Father is being played out with people around me and people who stand in leadership that have disconnected relationships with the Father will come and they will inflict you or their entire church with that disconnect and that discord that's happening in them. And so here I am wearing a hat saying, you know what, it doesn't matter. It's all good. I think I can still hear from God pretty well with it on. Oh, nope, it's a little worse, but it's okay. Um, we'll get through it. <laughs> oh, just kidding. All right, so I think I, I don't want to harp on that, but one of the things that really frustrates me is that bait and switch that people come to know Jesus with so much purity. They, they go, I want to know Jesus. I don't know if it's like walking down an aisle or, or being prayed for, or maybe somebody that they're friends with just talks to, them, talks to them and prays with them to follow Jesus, and they come with such, such just purity to say, Jesus loves me, sets me free, accepts me as I am, has forgiven me, and, and I want to follow Jesus. And the church can often be like, yes, come, 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 follow Jesus, and, they, and we get people into here, and then we, we hide Jesus and we come out with a bait and switch, and it's all religion, it's all performance. It's like, come to my discipleship class, here's a handbook for you. You gotta follow this and memorize these things, and you gotta change the, <laughs> uh, okay, I'll stop. I'm harping on it, I'm harping on it. I'm harping on it. But you know what I mean? Like that bait and switch of the purity of just following Jesus, and all of a sudden people are, un they're being put under this heavy burden, this heavy labor, like why is following Jesus so heavy for people? Because they've had a switch happen where they aren't following Jesus, they're following rules and religion, that has been handed to them and dressed up as Jesus and said, like, yes, that's Jesus. You're like, I don't think this is Jesus. It feels like a mannequin dressed up as Jesus. No, that's Jesus. Follow Jesus. And then they, I got to stop. Okay. 
the person in first service was like, could you preach that message exactly the way you preached it first service? Because I got some friends that I need to, to share it with. And, um, and I hope it's going to be recorded. And I was like, oh, yeah, it'll be word for word. It's going to be exactly the same. And I totally lied. Um, we, we, hopefully we'll get there. So I, I just believe that a lot of people have experienced this. And so it, ma- it matters to me that there is an imposter masquerading in front of Jesus that is requiring us to do a lot of things that the Father isn't asking us to do. And we need to be aware of that. Um, this is not about rules and relationships and, and it isn't about performance and it isn't about earning. And, and really, I want to say this, is like the relationship that we have with the Father should be so pure and undefiled by, by all of these performance things and religious things that people would put on us. And really, if the, if the context for your relationship with God through Jesus by the Spirit is, is, a, is a boardroom or a courtroom, more than it is a living room where you can just sit with the Father. I want to ask you that you would, you would say, God, I want to see you as a Father. I want to see you as a Father who's, who is there for me and ready for me. And I come out in the morning and you can sit with me and speak life over me. And that you're not a judge who's waiting to just hammer down on me. And you're, and you're not that person who's waiting to fire me because I didn't hit my marks or, or my goals or whatever it is. That you're a Father first before any other thing that you revealed in Scripture that you are primarily and most often revealed to, to be revealed as a Father. And this is what we want is to teach people have a relationship with the Father. Um, but Galatians 3.3, 3, Paul says this. You can hear this coming from his heart. How foolish can you be after starting with your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you not trying to become perfect by your hum, own human effort? Isn't that what we're all tempted to? And then he says it later in Galatians 5. And this Galatians 5 is so much about what he's dealing with with Acts 15. You'll see that parallel. But he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again to a yoke of slavery. What? What? yoke of slavery is he talking about? He says in verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. What that's saying is if you think that you're going to get close to Jesus by following rules, you have no idea what Jesus accomplished to you. If you go get circumcised or you have to follow the law or you got to dress a certain way or go to a certain church and do what the leadership tells you to do or you're on the outs, guess what? You're saying, Jesus, what you accomplished isn't sufficient and I believe that I've got to add something to it by following these rules, jumping through these hoops, doing these things to complete what you accomplished on the cross. That's the lie. And if you believe that, imagine how deep in your psyche performance becomes because you're having to close the gap between what Jesus couldn't do and what you have to do to reconcile your relationship with the Father. But that's not what Scripture teaches us. What Scripture teaches us is that He, Jesus, has reconciled us to the Father completely. And now our job, if it were, is to simply turn around as ambassadors and tell other people that they have been completely reconciled to the Father through Jesus. There's no nasty requirements of religion in that process. So the lie of religion, if I could reteach parts of my message here for you because I like to teach them early and then teach them again later on when I actually get to them in my notes. Um, the lie of religion misrepresents God. I won't say anything else about that. He's a good father, okay? Um, <clears throat> number two, he allows me, uh, the lie of religion allows me to emphasize outward behavior over my internal condition, which means that I can be a person who, who follows rules and laws above relationship and above intimacy, which allows me, number three, to judge others. If people don't measure up to my standard of behavior, I can categorize them, I can label them, I can dismiss them, who fun, right? Or what I see us doing a lot is that if people aren't performing the way that we want them to perform, we actually withhold the very things that they need until they change their behavior to match what we think that Jesus probably wants them to be doing. I swear it was worth a shot. That was the best I got. I mean, really, that was, yeah. I'm super tired now. No. <laughs> Listen, you carry heaven. So you carry that reconciliation. You carry that power, okay? You sometimes probably are carrying the very thing that that person is acting out of in their deficit, in their wound, in their hurt, that they're acting out of that thing. And why would we then withhold the very thing that they need that could bring healing into their life when we have it? And what if we gave it to them as freely as we've received it and see that that need is met and they actually rise out of that wound or out of that lack or out of that lie because you're a conduit of heaven. Let's be super careful 
that we are not creating something with our life where we are blocking off what Jesus is trying to pour out freely to people. And we're the ones who are like, I know that Jesus is giving it freely, but let me just hold it back from you because I'm not sure that you deserve it as much as I do. So we receive something and then we turn around and become a governor of how much of that goes out to others by withholding love from them, withholding affection, withholding maybe something that they need. No, let's not be that way. That's the lie of religion. It allows us to judge people, to label people, and then to justify withholding things that people actually need you to be when you show up in their life fully alive. John 10, 10, overflowing with the life of Jesus. And number four, it invites fear into my relationship with God and others. So fear of change, fear of anything that might undermine or deconstruct my religious system. Uh, And more devastating than that fear is that you walk around under the fear of disappointing God. And I mentioned this earlier. There is no joy and victory present in me when I am constantly at fear of disappointing God. And then that begins, that reality begins to leak out onto everybody around me. And they're like, why would I want to follow Jesus? Look at this person. Look at them. They're barely functioning. Why are they barely functioning? Because somebody religiously taught them that God is a God to be feared instead of a father to be loved and known. And so they're constantly at that place of saying, if I don't measure up, if I wear a hat when I preach, if I don't talk a certain way, if I'm not this or that or whatever it might be, then God is disappointed in me and I have to earn his favor. And if God is disappointed in me by the things that I do, the pressure that that puts on me, and then the things that come out of that in the way that I interact with people around me doesn't show the fullness of the life of the good news of Jesus to people around us, right? So, and, and, and sometimes, sometimes we see people get a hold of freedom. And they get so a hold of freedom that we almost resent it because we're not experiencing that same freedom in Christ. And so we go, you know what? I need to infect them with the same shame-inducing doctrine that got infected into me, so I'm gonna pass it along to them. Who do they think they are to live in that kind of freedom, right? And that's how that becomes perpetuated in our teachings and in our churches. Because you have people who truly believe that, they withhold, that they're the standard bearer for grace and they get to release it to people or not release it to people instead of giving it as freely as they've received it. So, if my lack of sense of freedom, mm, nope, let's move along. So what is our solution? We've talked a lot about this. I told you I'd be passionate about transformational communities, Acts 15, not being a place where religiosity is taking root. Um, What is the solution to this? So number one, verse two, confront it directly. When Paul saw this showing up in Acts 15, what did he do? He went straight to it and said, whoa, what are you teaching to people? And I disagree with this entirely. I want to know where this came from, what the source of it is, and I will go to the source, and I will also confront the source. So when you see religiosity coming about, I want you to, be, to confront it where it is, and I want you to say, what is the source of this? Now, do not hear me say, ooh, fun, Ryan said that I get to confront people. No, no, because here's the thing about religiosity. Here's the thing about it, is that if you want to confront it, I guarantee that the source is right here and right here. So any confrontation that you have about religiosity going on around you needs to first start with the introspection of saying, okay, God, have I let that seep into my relationship with you? You're a good father. Am I experiencing that in my own life? And when I'm not experiencing that in my own life, does that cause me to live with lack? And does causing me or does living with lack cause me to withhold from others or to judge others or to see things in others that you don't see? And so what God is asking us to do is to live in that place of saying, we want to confront it directly, understanding that a lot of the times it's going to be something that we confront in ourselves. And then the second thing that we do to overcome religiosity is the same thing that happened to the the Gentile believers, is this, is that we would ask Holy Spirit to convict us specifically. Convict us specifically. When we adopt a religious attitude, we will only see sin and faults and wrong. We'll see behaviors in people that we don't agree with. We don't see people's specific stories. We don't see the lives that they have walked the way that Paul saw the lives of the Gentile believers. So Paul went into this place and said, why are you laying this heavy burden on them about being circumcised and following the law if you knew them at all, if you cared about them at all, if you knew their story? Here is the place that I believe God would redirect them 
Don't sacrifice to idols. Don't bring idol worship into, G, into your worship of Jesus. Don't bring sexual immorality into your life or into your relationship with Jesus. Don't drink blood. Don't do any of that stuff. That's the things that these people specifically needed to hear. And this letter and that, that group, the council, they wouldn't have known that unless they had heard from Paul and been able to hear from Paul and Barnabas what it was specifically that that group of believers needed to hear. We have to be willing to be convicted specifically to get rid of religion that wants to come around our life and surround our life. And no, listen, if I could say, if I could paraphrase what I think Paul said, this is what it would sound like. Paul, why are you imposing restrictions that have nothing to do with them? If you knew them, you'd know that the real danger lies in their previous religious example of sacrificing meat to idols, drinking blood, and using sex as part of their worship experience. When you are known, listen, I think that's what Paul would have said. I think that's what Paul said, and I think that's why that letter came out the way it did. When you are known, the restrictions that God puts on you aren't just performed this way. Rather, they see to the heart of your life and where you are stuck and where you are hurting and speaks directly to those places and says, here is this place that I want to convict. Don't go to following a bunch of rules. Don't go to checking a bunch of boxes. Let me, as the Spirit of God, move in your life and have such a relationship with you that I can specifically convict you of things that are ripping you off and are holding you back and are causing friction in our relationship. I want those things. But you know what? Those things, to get to those things, is extremely vulnerable. So what feels better? Rules. Maybe we'll just like, we'll make up like 10 of them. And we'll follow those 10 rules. And we will never break those 10 rules. And if anybody ever accuses us of anything, we'll be like, well, I'm following these 10 main rules. And it's fine. No, disregard the things that are going on in my heart, in my life, behind closed doors, where my belief is at, how I'm treating people, what I'm believing about myself. Don't look at any of that. Look at me following these rules really well and dressing correctly and saying the right things. No, God knows you and your story just like he knew the Gentiles in their story. And they brought specific conviction to an area of their life that they needed to follow to see the fullness of Jesus made known in their culture and at their time. And I believe that that's what breaks off religiosity from us is when we say to God, come and convict me specifically. Come and look at my life. I don't want it to just be about following rules because any of us can do that. But I guarantee sitting here without an ounce of shame, without an ounce of shame, that God knows you so deeply. And when he comes to convict something in your life, he's not doing it to shame you or to tell you how you failed. He's coming to show you where life and life abundant is, is wanting to break out in you if you will come into alignment with him in places where you're out of alignment. That's what specific conviction does. And when we're walking in specific conviction for our lives, humility is such a byproduct of it that we don't even have time to mess with how other people aren't performing because we're just going, God, thank you for showing up for me and teaching me how to walk and be more and more like you, Jesus. And there's such humility to it that what would you expect what, what else would you extend to other people except so much grace? Because you know that's what you've received. It is such a powerful reality that we are not going to break religion by being tyrannical about it, by having arguments about it, by kicking people out who are religious. We're going to break religion out of this house by saying, no, 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 start here with me. Let there be conviction in my life of the things that I need to deal with. And then as I deal with those, I'm going to experience such love and grace and forgiveness in ways I never have before that the humility and the, and the, and the community and the invitational reality of come follow Jesus is so powerful that we get to invite people into that. So hear me say this. Religion doesn't care about you. It only cares about appearance. But God's spirit does know you. And that's what I'm talking about. He wants to make himself known to you in a personal way in places that are hindering and hurting you and holding you back. And so I do believe, though, that the church continues to be God's man. With all of our messes and all of our stuff, I believe that the church is God's mandated agency for world transformation. But too often, I think we've laid heavy religious trips on people instead of t teaching them how to walk in intimacy with Jesus, to know Jesus, and to invite the Holy Spirit to be known to them, to show up to them, and to confirm his message in people's lives. I think that the Holy Spirit is way better at pursuing people and making himself known to people. If we would just get out of the way sometimes and stop telling them how they should act to be a really good target for God and actually let God just hit the target. Another great thing to do while you're teaching is to turn the page while you're preaching and then you just come, come to the, I don't even know what page we're on anymore. Try it, it's great. Um, 
So think, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you for letting me screw around a little bit. Um, think about how Jesus discipled, and we'll close with this. He said to people, come, follow me. Lay down your lives. Come and follow me. And for three years, he walked with them. And he corrected them. And he rebuked them sometimes. And then sometimes he just showed the infinite patience that he had to be able to deal with their questions and with them not understanding what was happening. But the way that Jesus discipled was to say, walk with me. Walk with me and you will know me. And as he, when he left after three years, the disciples knew him. These, these people knew him so intimately that they were able to, to carry this movement forward. That's how Jesus discipled. Think about then how we disciple. I joked about it earlier and of course I'm joking. But if someone says, I wanna follow Jesus, how, how long until we hit them with the handbook? How long until we hit them with the dress code? How long until we hit them with the how, this is how you talk and this is where you serve and this is what you give? Like how long until that becomes part of our disciples? journey for people. And, I, and I'm a teacher at heart. Listen, I'm a teacher at heart, so I want to teach the word. I want to dive in. I'm like, why are we doing this Sunday thing? Let's just meet every morning and go through the Bible together and, and find you. Like, that's my heart. And I love teaching. This is what wisdom would dictate that we live this way and we do this. Like, I'm all for that. But what about people who get led with rules instead of led with that thing of saying, you want to follow Jesus? Come follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what Paul taught us to do in 1 Corinthians 11, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And so this is what we are asked to do. And this is what I want you to say to others. Come and follow me as I follow Jesus. Some of you are in this room today. Some of you are in this room today because you followed somebody who was following Jesus and you didn't even realize it, that you were learning to follow Jesus. How powerful is it when somebody can live their life invitational in such a way that says, just come and hang out with me while I follow Jesus. I don't need to give you all the spiritual laws. I don't need to teach you the sinner's prayer. I don't have to do any of that stuff. I just want first, I just want you to come and hang out with me and see the life of Jesus that is evident in everything that I do. Not because I'm trying to prove it to you, but because this is who I truly am. This is what my life really looks like. Come and know me. Come and put your, your oil dipstick into my life and pull it out and see if there's life there. See if there's fruit happening. See if there's a testimony of the active work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And some of us, I believe, are sitting in this room because people did that for us and with us. And how incredible would it be if a church, a group of people decided that we're not going out there to convert people, but we're gonna disciple people to follow Jesus before they even know that they're following Jesus because we're just gonna invite them to be a powerful and deep part of our community and a deep part of our life as we walk out our relationship with Jesus, right? So we have to learn to disciple people into relationship with Jesus rather than turning it into a behavior modification program where we check the boxes, get them to pray, and then leave them on their own, which we don't want to do. So to close, I would just say a community of transformation. Living Waters is called a religious detox center. We say this, I want you to hear this. This is a community where those who have been overly churched, disengaged, disenfranchised, or deeply wounded by organized religion or church or church leaders or can heal, can have hope, can have joy restored, and can return their yes to Jesus in an environment free from performance, judgment, coercion, comparison, or competition. But this is important that you hear this. I want you to hear this as well. We are not irreligious or immature in our faith. That doesn't give us license to do whatever we want. In fact, our requirement is much higher when we say, no, we are just learning to surrender to the personal conviction of the Holy Spirit and his word that we would follow him in that. And so it doesn't mean that we're irreligious or immature in our faith. We are safe, intentional, and zealous followers of Jesus who choose not to control people, manipulate outcomes, or lift appearance over process. We are okay with messy, awkward, uncomfortable conversations and creating space for people to learn to steward their freedom, to be convicted by the Spirit, and to lean into emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical health. And it's important, I will keep reading because time is running short, it's important to Kate and I that we don't build our Living Waters community on what we aren't or what we aren't going to do. For example, we don't want to be a religious place, right? It sounds great, but it's not as powerful as this. We want to show people how to follow Jesus apart from shame and apart from performance. You could hear us stand up here every day and rail about how we've got it figured out, or we're not this, or we're against that, we're against that, we're against that, and everybody out there has got it wrong, and we've got it right. But the thing, building a community around something that you're against isn't going to last, but building community around something that we want to make happen together, that's where community takes place. That's what transformational community looks like. So a community is established on what we are for and what we are building and what we are becoming together. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Okay. So 
I think I got all that through. Um, one thing I wanted to say as we, as we wrap up is, is we're going to take a pause from the series on Acts for a few weeks, and we're going to do a series on lament. And, and as Kate and I were praying through this, and, and obviously um, I lost my brother uh, two months ago. And so that's a big deal, but I don't want this to be where you think, oh, yeah, Ryan, I get it. We're going to go through lament together because, because of that. No, what it has revealed to me and what it has reminded me is that every single one of us have been carrying things through this season where we have deep pain, disappointment. We've been let down. We haven't had things go the way that we expected or wanted or anticipated that there's been great disconnect. Relationships have been lost. Opportunities have been lost. Finances have been lost. The list can go on. And I can get up here as a leader and say, oh, but 2022, we're going to change the world. Let's go. And we're all just bleeding. Like, yeah, let's go change the world in 2022. It is incongruent with the heart of a father who would never send a child out to accomplish something that was injured. But if we were like, no, I'm not hurt, I'm not hurt, like the, the night, um, just a flesh wound. Uh, <laughs> the, that's what the church is like, I swear. Um, but if we're hurting and we're bleeding here, guess what happens when we get to 2022 and we're trying to take over the world? We're going to be there hurting and bleeding. And if we're hurting and bleeding, what happens? We hurt others. And we bleed on others. And so I feel like this powerful invitation from the Spirit of God to say, what if, you, what if you just sat back for a few weeks and together as a community we just learned what it means to lament, to grieve, to invite God to meet us in that place, not to fix us or to heal us, but to just reassure us as sons and daughters that he values that and he will be present in it, even if it takes a long, long, long time. He is not going, okay, we still here? He's here for you. He's in it with you. He's going to be here for us. He's going to be in it with us. And so we have things that are hurting us. So we have to walk in vulnerability. We have to walk in fearlessness to bring that kind of thing into community. Um, but I believe that's what God's inviting us into. So I wanted to set you up for success, just so you know, to be praying about it and to be ready for that as we spend the next several weeks. And we're going to be inviting in some speakers to do that so that Kate and I aren't having to lead that from the front. It's not healthy for us to be like, oh, we're in an intense time of grief. Let me talk to you about grief because suddenly I'm an expert. Like this is, the, this is our culture. We experience something once, right? And then all of a sudden we want to tell everybody about how we know everything about it. That's not what we're doing. We want to sit back and be ministered to with you guys because this is what we need. And I believe it's what, what our house needs. And I believe it's what our city needs. Um, so I've taken a couple extra minutes just to set you up for that so that you know that. Uh, I was told that you can get your kids out of the first through fifth grade section by just going to the, to the outside bay doors, I think, to get them, right? And um, and then kids are back there. So thank you for letting me have three extra minutes with you guys. Um, actually, give me 30 more seconds because I want to pray. I'm not going to let this, this just run out with, without doing this. Jesus, you are the center of everything that we are and everything that we do. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through you. You are magnified. You are, you are everything to us. You've brought us into this place of reconciliation where it is our task now is to, to show others what it looks like to be reconciled to the Father and to show them what it looks like to have life fully alive in you. And so we ask, Lord, that that would begin with us. It would be from us because we are centered and focused on you, that you would take every place of our heart, God, that is wanting to just be in rules and religion and, and, and hitting the mark. And it feels so good to do that stuff, God, but we wanna just say that's not who you've called us to be. And we wanna turn instead and learn to be sons and daughters to a father who delights in us and knows us. And while you hold us to a standard, because you want to see the best in us, we say yes to you coming and convicting us and calling us because your conviction and your calling is always into identity and who we are in Christ. It is not to shame us or to break us. You're bringing us to the fullness of life that you have for us. So we say yes to that. First as people and then as a community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for a couple extra minutes.